Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, 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 and welcome to the show. Sorry we weren't here last week. We will now, we're restarting the live show, so we're going to do this every Wednesday at 5pm. Quacker Fuffle had to run around Madrid, where I am for personal reasons, uh, to find an Ethernet cable to make this work. But we got there after a lot of panic, so we persevere. Now, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about democracy. Democracy, you see, is a precious thing. Democracy was fought for at great cost and great sacrifice by our ancestors. And when our political parties, when our parties of government, and there are only two parties of government realistically in this country, um, that is across the UK before I annoy, uh, obviously, SNP supporters. But when our parties of government show their contempt for democracy, that should concern and worry us all. Now, Jamie Driscoll is the Labour mayor for North Tyne, hugely respected, which I'll come on to, with a record to be proud of, driving force for the green industrial revolution this country desperately needs, both to save the planet and also for the future of jobs and the economy, securing huge amounts of money for schools, councils, small businesses, NGOs, you name it, to help tackle the climate emergency and the energy crisis, getting loans, equity and grants to achieve net zero, created thousands of jobs with permanent contracts and good pay in a region which, of course, has suffered so much over the last few decades from de-industrialization. He's taken on child poverty, built affordable homes. These are things that a Labour mayor should be proud of. These are things that the Labour Party should be proud of. This is what a Labour Party, worthy of, its, worthy of its name, should be doing with the political power granted to it by those who vote for it. That's what a Labour Party was founded to do on behalf of those it was founded to represent and champion. Now, there is now a contest for a new and large position of North East Mayor. So you get a process within the Labour Party, which is supposed to be democratic. We'll talk about that. That's where local members decide who their candidate is. So you start with a long list, which is then whittled down to a short list. And the members vote on that. They look at the candidates who've been put forward. They look at their statements. They look at their record. They look at their vision. And they think to themselves, who do I trust best to be the Labour candidate to represent me in this particular race, the mayoralty for the North East? Now, you would think the Labour mayor for North Tyne, with a record, which I've gone through, who has no disciplinary action taken against him. If he's done anything untoward, according to the political party, they would have kicked him out by now. I can assure you of that. Nothing like that has happened. What they did instead is just make sure he's not on the long list. That means no local member has any right to decide whether they want him to be mayor of the North East. So Labour's saying that someone they've accepted is good enough to be a mayor they haven't withdrawn Labour Party membership from him, cannot be eligible to be voted on for local members to decide whether they think he's the best candidate, even though he's an actual Labour mayor, as things stand. Now, we're going to talk about what this be. I've got with me, and I'm very glad to have Jamie Riscoll, because he's a very busy man, a very committed uh, um, politician, which we'll talk about. We're going to talk about what this means for lots of things. Let's just have a little snippet from ITV talking about this. The Labour leader has weighed into the row around who the party's candidate will be for the inaugural North East mayoral election. Yes, Keir Starmer has been criticised over the decision to block the current North of Time mayor, Jamie Driscoll, from appearing on the ballot. We can join our political correspondent, Tom Sheldrick, for more on this. Plenty of criticism of this decision, Tom. Yes, Ian, it's been mounting up and it's pretty strong. A Labour MP from our region uh, told me off camera today they think the party is taking a Stalinist approach and purging left-wing politicians, while two Labour mayors, Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham, have written to their party's governing body saying that excluding Jamie Driscoll is not democratic, transparent and fair. 
Stalinist, exactly the right way to put it. We had years of hysteria over Jamie Corbyn as leader of the Labour Party. Um, there has been no more authoritarian leadership in the history of the Labour Party as this one. I know that. I'm a study of, uh, I'm a historian uh, who was trained partly in studying the history of the Labour Party. There was no more um, Stalinist um, uh, approach by any leader ship other than this one. Um, as noted, both Andy Burnham, who is the uh, mayor for Labour Mayor for Greater Manchester, and Steve Reid in, in Merseyside have written to the chair of Labour's National Executive Committee to express concern about the selection process. Uh, they say, we've worked close with Jamie and see firsthand uh, the good work he has done as mayor. He's taken a constructive and non-partisan approach to his work, as shown by his success in delivering a new devolution deal with government for the North East. He has been a valuable member of our M10 group of mayors. We believe he deserves to be treated more respect than he has so far been shown. Now, if you're perplexed about what the hell's going on here, it's very straightforward. You see, uh, Jamie's politics are aligned with ideas such as we should have public ownership of things like the utilities, that they shouldn't be run by private profiteers, that uh, we should tax rich people more than we do so we can invest in areas like the Northeast, which have suffered so much over the last couple of generations, that we should have far stronger trade unions. We should stand by our trade unions when they stand up and fight for working people, that we should, shouldn't burden young people with debt because they have the audacity to dream to a university education for which all of society benefits. You see, what happened is Keir Starmer stood on those leadership promises. That was his platform to become Labour leader in the first place. And then... As Labour leader, he's abandoned all those policies. And we end up in a situation where any candidate now who still believes in the very policies that Keir Starmer stood for to become leader of the Labour Party is seen as persona non grata in the modern Labour Party, there to be driven out of the Labour Party with the left extinguished as a political force forever. That's what we're talking about here. And I think that's why this is important. But also in terms of democracy, Labour promised the biggest giveaway of power ever big promise. How can they square this, this idea there'll be big devolution uh, under a Labour government when they're stitching up selections for these mayor, mayoral, mayoral contests? Doesn't make any sense. It's not just about a factional issue here. It's about what's best for the people that Labour exists to represent and champion. What's best for the North East? Who's the best candidate? Is it someone who's already a mayor with a proven track record. And even if you don't think, he, for you, maybe there's another candidate putting their hat in the ring, why don't members have the right to choose? And I think all of these are very important issues about the future of our democracy. And democracy within the Labour Party matters for all of us because they're likely to form the next government given how the Conservatives have destroyed themselves. Um, before I bring Jamie in, uh, I think I've introduced enough, uh, do like... Uh, and subscribe. Um, if you're watching live, I know the vast majority, to be fair, watch afterwards, but fine. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook, do click on the YouTube link as well. Um, and you can support us on patreon.com forward slash Joe's 84 to keep the show on the road. We're doing these daily videos at the moment, as you probably know, or using super chat. So for example, Tad Cantwell uh, asking, is there any difference in the power and responsibilities of the old um, and new mayoral contest? These are all questions, by the way, that I will put to Jamie afterwards. Um, so we will make sure that he's asked. I'll thank everyone at the end with the super chats. Um, and we're going to talk as well, by the way, the other thing I want to talk about is, you see, this isn't just about the Labour Party being made a hostile environment for those who could be described as the radical left or Corbynites or anything like that. If you're on the soft left, watch your back. You're next. You think this is going to stop with the likes of Jeremy Corbyn or, or indeed Jamie Driscoll? I don't think so. You see, these people who run the Labour Party now, they think Andy Burnham's too left-wing. They think Angela Rayner's too left-wing. They think Ed Miliband's too left-wing. These are all people they're going to come for, and they're going to come for anyone who puts themselves on the soft left. He might have had problems with Corbyn, thought he was too left-wing, or didn't like the culture under him or whatever. You're next. You're out. You have no future in the Labour Party. And if you think you've got a future in the Labour Party, then I'm afraid those illusions are about to hit political reality because what they're doing is lopping off the left, and then they'll come for the soft left. And the only people who will ever be selected as Labour candidates are people who are pre prepared to get on their hands and knees and grovel at the shrine of Peter Mandelson. That's the political party that has been forged in this 
couldn't she? Anyway, I think I've said enough to get us going. Jamie, hello, the brilliant Nor Labour Mayor uh, for North Tyne. How are you doing? Not so bad, Owen. It's been a busy couple of days, although I suddenly find myself a lot more famous than I was before. <laughs> I see quite a lot of you on the news. That's, that's definitely true. Right, what I want to do is just start uh, with just a trip down memory lane. Um, during the Labour leadership contest, you met with uh, this guy called Keir Starmer. And I say this guy called Keir Starmer because uh, quite a different politician from the current Keir Starmer who runs the Labour Party. Let's just hear in an interview, did a lengthy, very friendly, amicable interview with him. This is one of the things he said to you. But even in our campaign, we've been able to bring together different parts of the party. And I'm conscious of the fact that if I leave the Labour Party and ask for unity, I've got to demonstrate that through my campaign and as leader of the Labour Party. Because yeah. you can't ask others to do something you're not doing yourself. You can't ask others to do something you're not prepared to do yourself. How does his commitment to unity, which he made to you, how do you, how do you feel about that three, three, and a, three and a half years on? He said that directly to, to someone who he has then, under his leadership, in short, was purged clearly for political reasons. What do you think about that? Well, it's funny that. So the, the Labour leadership campaign, I interviewed all of the three candidates, interviewed Becky, interviewed Lisa and Andy, interviewed Keir. Um, give them the questions in advance, plenty of things. One of the questions I asked him was, Boris Johnson got rid of all the people he didn't like, removed the whip from them. Is that something you would ever do? Oh, no, no, I, I don't believe in that approach, was his answer. Um, it, it, the mainstream media, even the Tories, taunt Keir Starmer across the chamber for not honouring his promises. And I do think that's worrying for democracy. I think when politicians make a promise and it doesn't get delivered, then it, it doesn't undermine democracy. And we get this, this whole culture of politicians are all the same. And then we end up electing people like Boris Johnson just because he happens to shout louder or be more charismatic. So it really is quite dangerous. Um, and uh, why they're doing it? Well, I mean, you can speculate. Um, some of it is a naked power grab. Some of it, as I think they, they know that an incoming Labour government is going to have a tremendous amount of difficulty. I, mean, I don't want a Labour government. I don't want the Tories to. Um, but that Labour government coming in, the public finances are difficult. We're going to have public sector workers who haven't had a pay rise in five years. All the roads are full of potholes. All the NHS has got huge backlogs. You're waiting hours for an ambulance sometimes for, from heart attacks and strokes. Um, so what's that Labour government going to do to fix it? Well, if they don't fix it, of course, we know what will happen we will see the Labour base will be up in arms in a way that if the Tories aren't fixing it, well, a lot of their voters aren't actually um, interested in these issues. They will support the Tory party anyway. So the Labour Party will lose its base. We'll see the Labour Party membership be outraged at the treatment um, of working people, the way they treat the public services. So then we would see a big swing to the left in the Labour Party. So they're desperate to get rid of anybody who could be a channel for that energy to move the Labour Party back to mainstream, if this was in mainland Europe, mainstream social democratic policies, which, let's be honest, is what we're talking about here, isn't it? You know, um, when we talk about public ownership of the utilities, most of our utilities and transport system is in public ownership. It's just publicly owned by a different country. Mm, exactly. I mean, I think that's a really astute point, by the way, because the formula they're trying to replicate is 1997, but actually... Mm in lots of ways, 2005, a lot of them are more kind of Blair when he was going all loopy and talking more about privatising public services and so on. But nonetheless, 1997 was an age of rising growth and living standards because of an unsustainable financial bubble. But they, that Britain isn't like 1997 today. Britain's more like 1974, but more crisis-ridden. And that's the issue, isn't it? They've got a kind of approach, which is, which is you know, not, not on a collision course with with political reality. And do you know what? Maybe there's room for people to disagree with that within the Labour Party. But if the Labour Party was the broad church Keir Starmer said it would be, then those like yourself, you think, well, actually, couldn't we go further? Couldn't we actually have some of the more transformative policies you were actually asking for, Keir Starmer, in the leadership election three years ago? A Labour Party that wasn't a dictatorship internally and autocratic would say, do you know what? You're not exactly aligned with the leadership, but you're doing great Labour things. Labour things we should be proud of. And obviously, in a broad church, we'll let members have a say about whether you represent them or not. Well, here's the interesting thing. So the, the press are fond of labels, the last core minister in power. Um, and I am still in power for the next 11 months, no matter what happens, by the way. So um, the, the approach I've taken 
it's actually really quite different from this, this perhaps the more traditional left, centralise everything, control it from Whitehall. It's very much about devolution. And I work locally with loads of businesses, and loads of businesses actually really like working with me. So through amazing persuasion, I've got 50,000 workers now covered by the real living wage trading in terms of conditions. Um, I've been working with pension funds, and this is our money, by the way, to be levering in billions to boost our local transport system, to build more affordable homes, to, to tackle um, the climate emergency. Um, and I've, I've set up a venture capital fund, an investment-grade venture capital fund, so that we, as the people through the combined authority, can actually start owning shares in these businesses as they grow and the money channels back to us. So that's a very regional, knit-things-together kind of way. Um, and that, that approach can only be done at a devolved level. And when you start centralising power, um, and there is a very strong centralising tendency in the Labour Party now, far more actually than, than I experienced in the, the Tory party. The Tory party are, you know, many of them beyond the pale and totally venal and, you know, in the back pockets of business. Um, I don't doubt that. Um, but they tend to be actually quite, um, you know, get on with it yourselves kind of approach, whereas the Labour Party wants to tightly control things. Or that certain clique, and by no means the majority of the Labour Party, and I've got a, a huge respect for a lot of our Labour MPs and councillors and members. Um, but this little clique, and um, we, it won't actually fix the problems of the 21st century that we're facing. Britain is far too big and complicated a country to be run from the centre, and it's only by devolving power out will we be able to, and my track record shows it, you know, all the jobs we've created. Um, if you look at something like skills training, we know to deal with a just transition, we're going to have to skill loads of people up. And we know there are a lot of people who are you know, economically inactive, I don't like the term, but people who are struggling to get a decent job and get well paid. Adult education was devolved to my combined authority, 1st of August 2020. It's hard to think of a worse time, you know, right there in the middle of a pandemic. Didn't even know if the colleges were going to be open. And these are chefs and welders, those sorts of jobs. We've increased enrolments from 22,000 a year to 33,000 a year by working locally in a way that Whitehall can't. But what, what branch of government ever gets a 50% increase in value for money? That's the sort of stuff the Labour Party should be shouting about. And it's shocking that they're trying to get rid of someone like me that they desperately need me and hundreds of people like me to be able to deliver for the people that we're here to represent. And it just it's not going to happen. They will fail if they, they try and do this from Whitehall. I, I want to talk more about in terms of your vision for the Northeast and, you know, what I think kind of Labour could learn about that across the country. Before I do, I mean, one of the suggestions that has been raised by Labour front benches is uh, Johnny Reynolds, um, who is a MP in, in Greater Manchester, not, not for, in fact, represents not far from where I grew up myself. Um, and he suggests it's because you share the stage with Ken Loach, who is one of the most famous filmmakers in the country. Um, and uh, let's just see, because just in the real world, uh, let's just see how the B a local BBC report spoke about Ken Loach. Ken Loach, who turns 87 this month, has been coming here since the 1970s and has been invited back to show his latest feature. How important was it for you to be able to bring the old oak to Cannes? The Cannes Festival is the biggest event in world cinema, I think. As a place to launch a film, it, nothing compares to it. Because people come from all over the world, people write about it from all over the world. There's, there's no other way of getting that attention. Cannes is unique. And it's now time to share their film with the world. What a response. A 15-minute standing ovation from more than 2,000 people. I mean, it is just kind of hilarious because you've got in the real, you've got a BBC, because Ken Loach, his last films have been in the Northeast. That's why he did an event with him, a filmmaker, one of the most famous British filmmakers in the Northeast, uh, did films in the region you're a representative for. A bit local BBC, so they're very respectful, kind of, you know, venerating him. He's getting a standing ovation at Cannes. But if you share a platform with him, then the allegation is that, therefore, you shouldn't be fit to be a Labour representative. It is. It's beyond belief, isn't it? I mean, it's wholly Kafkaesque. Um, his latest film, The Old Oak, is actually about the plight of Syrian refugees in the North East. And it's tackling racism uh, and showing about, you know, how, how communities can work together. Um, and that was part funded by the BBC. 
So, you know, unless um, the, the Labour official line is they're going to boycott the BBC now, which I somehow doubt. Um, yeah, they are wholly contradictory. Um, so I did this event. Um, I've done, I do a lot of events as the regional mayor. Would you have a chat with Ken Loach about films? Brilliant. So what we spoke about was Ken's favourite films, my favourite films, and how he got started in films, how I got started in politics, um, what you should do if you're getting started out in films, um, and Star Trek. Um, and he was really quite mocking about <laughs> some of my opinions and, and cultural choices. Um, but it was great. It was a great event. There was loads of people there. Every year it was quite light. Um, and it was really, it was a celebration of the arts. And to say that a regional mayor should not talk to possibly our greatest living film director um, about his last three films, all set in the Northeast, creating jobs here. Um, you know what? How are we supposed to do our jobs if we can't engage with cultural events actually matter to the people in our region um it's just some of the questions coming through i mean tad Campbell asked as i said, as I said before is there a difference in the power and responsibilities of the old and new mayoral position so just explain basically what you know because you, you're north time there this is an enlarged metropolitan region metro region yeah so i'm a metro mayor that covers the city of newcastle uh, over the coast in north tyneside but all the way up to scotland to berwick so it's actually it's a huge geographic area um, and at the moment, I control an investment fund, and my target from central government is create 10,000 jobs over 30 years, off of the combined authority. Obviously, no one's going to be mayor for 30 years, I hope. Um, and so um, I work with companies. Um, I have an adult education budget that comes in. That's about an extra 25 million a year. I have some money um, that, that I managed to get for brownfield housing that we had to negotiate from for government. And, and I do this to create affordable homes. So the investment fund, I used to tackle child poverty and improve educational standards, even though I don't have to. Um, I brought, last year actually, the Northeast, we were the number one region of the country for inward investment. So this line from the Labour Party of candidates from the highest standard, I think that is a definition of the highest standard. Um, and so that's the powers we've got. And we're going to now bring in, not just the north of Tyne, we're bringing in Gateshead, Sunderland, South Tyneside uh, and County Durham. So we are um, increasing the size of the area. Um, all of the programmes that I've set up that have still got to run, they all get over, all my staff get 2 would over. So it's the same authority, just on a bigger footprint with more people involved in the governance, take their priorities into account. So it's exactly the same, plus control of the transport system. So that's a new thing. And that was something that I promised we'd get when I ran last time. Labour members have already selected me for this position, by the way, previously, my current position. Um, and uh, won that election. So the public have, have backed me. So there's no question there about, will the public back this guy? Um, and like I say, in that manifesto, I said I would negotiate to get transport powers because other areas have, like Birmingham or the West Midlands, like um, Greater Manchester, uh, Liverpool City region. So negotiated to got them. Got um, uh, a billion pound over the next three years um, in total. I've negotiated the highest value devolution deal anywhere in the country. We get more than Manchester. We're getting more than um, the, the West Midlands, for example, despite the fact they're much bigger populations than, than the two million this new deal covers in the northeast. So I've been right at the heart of that. Um, I've worked with um, Tory um, Treasury ministers like Simon Clark. Um, I've worked with people like Michael Gove. I've worked with people like Grant Shapps who wanted to take 50 million a year out of the transport budget and, and say, well, you're already getting that for the time in Wiener Metro, so we'll, um, we'll take it out of this new settlement and went and made the case and had the argument. So, yeah, but everywhere else has got heavy rail. Don't punish us for having a good metro system. Won that argument. So I've, I've got us hundreds of millions of pounds. And despite all of that, um, the Labour Party is saying, this guy isn't a candidate of the highest calibre. Find me someone who's better. And it, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, the idea that you know, if you hadn't had the sit-down meeting with Ken Loach, that they would have made a different decision is a, is, is a joke and a farce. And actually, you know, if they're trying to sneak in the issue of anti-Semitism, which is a very serious issue, anti-Semitism, you know, you don't make light of anti-Semitism. You don't just drag in something which is a two thousand year old hatred, which is responsible for the Holocaust, but also multiple horrific crimes throughout history. You don't just lightly throw that in and insert that into a political discussion or conversation without extremely good foundations and as the Ford report which was commissioned by the leader of the Labour Party made clear you shouldn't use issues for example of anti-semitism in a factional context now I think just the broader point I mean I'm going to talk obviously more about the northeast but in terms of double standards here um, I mean firstly when they keep saying in the in, in the um, nationally we make no apologies that we expect candidates to be of the highest possible quality 
Well, let's take it for the case of Neil Coyle in Bermondsey, uh, who was suspended for racially abusing a journalist and also was found to have sexually harassed someone. Now, if under Corbyn, you'd had a Corbynite MP or whatever you want to call it, who had racially abused a, a journalist and was also found to have sexually harassed someone and they were just reinstated, all hell would have broken loose. And at the same time, before we came on air, uh, Christian Wakeford, a former Conservative MP who made very inflammatory comments, I have to say, about migrants, which he then had to grovel apologise for after he defected to the Labour Party. But today, in Parliament, uh, Christian Wakeford uh, um, had a selfie and a picture, a glowing tweet um, about Gene Simmons, um, was going to say Angela Rayner stole the PMQs this week, but I'm afraid it wasn't to be. Uh, sorry, Ange, there isn't uh, um, anyone to upstage Gene Simmons. Um, great to be able to watch in the chamber today and to meet him uh, too. Now, as the Labour Muslim Network have, found, have said, they've written to Christian Wakeford regarding his recent tweet on Gene Simmons' visit to the House of Commons. Uh, Simmons has been associated with extremely Islamophobic past comments, including referring to Islam as a vile culture. Promotion of Mr. Simmons is Islamophobic and a direct violation of the Labour Party code of conduct. They go on to say, we've called on Christian Berry to immediately remove his tweet and apologise to Muslims, Labour Party and beyond. Actions like this severely undermine the effort to tackle Islamophobia within the party and British society as a whole. They've also written to Keir Starmer, the General Secretary. If we do not, uh, if we do not act with immediacy and seriousness, it only further uh, furthers accusations of a hierarchy of racism in our culture. So the allegations there is that Gene Simmons has made uh, profoundly um, Islamophobic uh, um, um, comments. Um, I mean, that's not the only thing Gene Simmons is controversial for. People should just do a do a um, um, a, li a little Google of Gene Simmons for a flavour. But I mean, there again, nothing's going to happen to Christian Wakeford. Nothing's going to happen. He's he's held up as a shining example of the new Labour Party, a Conservative MP who, with a record of voting for terrible policies, which have caused terrible damage to places like the North East, lauded as a hero, can just gallivant around with Islam someone accused of Islamophobia, but you're kicked out for what? It's almost as if they're playing a game, isn't it, Owen? You know, you get someone like Christian Wakeford there, who's been a Tory, tiny majority, clearly not going to win, and thinks, you know what, I'll defect. Um, and then the Labour Party say, yeah, isn't this great? And it's almost that in-your-face Tories is why they're doing it. It's the political game and not, well, what does this mean to the people you represent? My loyalty has always been, and, and before any of this blew up, I've always said my loyalty is to the people who, who I represent and, and going to do the best for them. Um, and if we go back, you know, to, to you're raising questions there around um, Islamophobia, around anti-Semitism and Labour Party. And he said, by the way, I should say, he said it's a vile culture. And if you think for a second that's willing to just live in the sands of God's armpit, you have another thing coming. That's what he said yeah, about Islam. Yeah. Um, and these are problems that they're certainly very serious problems in society. The problems in in, um, in the Labour Party, um, by the way, and, and this accusation that people aren't taking this seriously. There may be some people who take it seriously, but um, the, the people very much on the left are the people who, for years, have been campaigning against the far right. It's what I used to do in my younger days, and in really quite a hands-on way. You know, um, you know, I'm a, people might have picked up from my um, very stories about me. I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So I actually used to be directly involved with dealing um, with the far right, with intelligence gathering, because when I had hair, it was also this short, so I could actually pass for a skinhead. And you go and sit and drink with these, and you pick up what's going on. So it was actually directly, and this was in the days when they were doing things like nailing pigs' heads um, up to the, on the Jewish cemeteries and things like that. Um, what has happened in the Labour Party is undoubtedly there have been a lot of people who've been very, very clumsy, very clumsy and quite offensive in the way that they have conflated um, the, the criticism of the state of Israel, whose uh, actions I think of, you know, the murder of innocent civilians is definitely happened. Um, but they've conflated that with very careless language, possibly at times willfully provocative language, um, and blamed that on Jewish people in general. Um, which is anti-Semitism. Um, and so let's not say that there is no anti-Semitism here. Um, I was quite touched today. Um, some people, I have no idea who they are, have just written me a letter um, of the local Jewish community who've said, we are outraged that the Labour Party is pretending that we are outraged that you spoke to Ken Loach and that's the reason they're getting rid of you because we think you've done a good job. Um, no instigation from me whatsoever. I don't even... I mean, I, I, maybe I have met the people, I didn't certainly recognise the names. Um, so that's the 
the level that we're at. And Islamophobia, also a very serious problem within the Labour Party, um, and, and is not getting the issue that it should have. I mean, a local councillor in Newcastle, um, when um, Nick Forbes was deselected, um, actually had another go at uh, another sitting council, two sitting councillors who are um, Islamic, um, and accused them of a specific Muslim plot. Now, replace the word Muslim with Jewish, and that would have been all over the news. But it wasn't. So, you know, the, the Labour Party is not taking everything as seriously as it should. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's very important. As I said, the Ford report was commissioned by Keir Starmer himself. And I think it's very odd. And well, I think it's very revealing that it's almost talking about the Ford report um, make kind of people, the kind of mainstream view within the media of the Labour or the Labour Party leader that's kind of cranky to talk about the Ford report as though it's some sort of fringe report rather than a literal report that was commissioned by Keir Starmer with Martin Ford QC being one of the leading, one of the literally what perhaps the most accomplished black barrister in the country. And yet his warnings about perceptions of a hierarchy of racism, as you said, emphasizing the need to deal with anti Semitism, not in any way belittling the seriousness of anti-Semitism and also treating other forms of racism like anti-black racism or anti-Muslim racism with the seriousness they deserve. And it should be said, look, in terms of where this is obviously heading, I mean, you mentioned Nick Forbes there, who's from the North East and used to be the lead of Newcastle City Council. In fact, I remember, I did an event with him a few years ago. Um, but he's friends with Morgan McSweeney, who was Keir Starmer's campaign chief and chief of staff for a while. And he said, uh, Nick Forbes said of Morgan McSweeney, he doesn't have any room for compromise with the hard left. He thinks they need to be eradicated from the party because they are so dangerous. And their view of what the hard left is, is a broad uh, net. So that's, that's what's happening here. It's the eradication of anything which is seen to be associated uh, with the left. I mean, just on that, I mean, Tom's asking, how do you further left members of the British, of the Labour Party plan to deal with the challenge? I think Starmer's posing these. I mean, a lot of people would look at this and think, to be honest, Jamie, you're sunk. There's no chance whatsoever they're going to U-turn on this, despite the fact there's outrage from people who don't necessarily share your politics. I mean, look, my own uh, colleague at, at The Guardian, Simon Jenkins, who is not a lefty, <laughs> Keir Starmer says he wants to empower local communities The Jamie Driscoll effect suggests otherwise. The thing about this kind of witch hunt is they can't back down because that it would expose the witch hunt for what it is if they did. Right. Isn't that the problem? You kind of well, you, you talk there about people who don't <laughs> share my politics. Um, there's actually very few people who don't share my politics once you get behind the headlines and the labels and the name calling. The headlines and the name calling and the labels are essential to protect the, the actual truth of the politics of exploitation. Places like the Northeast are seen as, as a cash cow. It's a colony for global corporations to just charge us, take money out and launder it. Um, as are, you know, it's not just the Northeast. I mean, London, we often go on about London and we use that actually as a metaphor for, you know, Canary Wharf and, uh, and Westminster. But actually, there's huge areas of deprivation in London as well. Let's, let's not forget that. Um, so the, the reality is, if you talk to people and say, why is it that, for example, Northern Power Grid, the transmission grid in my part of the world, 355 million a year turnover, 135 million profit taken out, owned by an American billionaire. 
and then we have Storm Arwen and the grid falls over and there's villages in Northumberland not getting electricity for two weeks. You talk to people about that. <laughs> business. Local Tories agreed with me on it. Um, the, the, the level of support I've had from independents, from Greens, from Lib Dems, from Tories, every councillor tradition in the North East has been in touch uh, and said, we think you're doing a good job. So, you know, it's not the politics that's the barrier here. It's the who gets to be in control. And it's the centralising tendency. You know what? And I think, I'm, I'm sure you're a, an advocate of PR as well. So am I. And not just um, on parliamentary elections. I do think we need a different constitutional set. <laughs> How we get there, you say, I'm a sunk. Individually, um, the Labour NEC, I don't see that there's any chance they're going to back down. At the moment, they look stupid. If they, if they move, they look stupid and weak. Um, so the, the question is, is how much noise do we make as people who are concerned sure. citizens? I'm a socialist. I think you're a socialist. But even if you're not a socialist, if you have any progressive views at all, this should worry you. Because this could be a party of government that tolerates no dissent and is willing to smear and lie about people then, you know, that is kind of the definition of... There was a, we did this event with me and the other mayors and Keir Starmer and Lisa Nandy on the buses, um, and I'm pretty sure that you'll see me airbrushed out of a photograph at some point soon. Um, <laughs> that's coming. Um, so what are we going to do about it? Well, number one is to stand and fight about this. You know, I'm, I'm not someone who's given up. Um, you know, I literally used to stand and fight the far right. Um, so there's no question about bravery there. Because if I just roll over and say, oh, well, isn't it tough? You know, um, there's too much pressure. Then the people next to me, because you're dead right, they're going to go for Ed Miliband. They're already undermining his climate pledges. And Ed knows that. He knows the, the, the pledge of 28 billion a year um, to cover everything that we get. You know, if the fiscal rule says it's OK, is not adequate to meet the climate emergency. Labour's pledge to get 100% green electricity by 2030 is a good pledge. Way, way better than anything the Tories do. No question about that but it's one-tenth of the increase in clean energy that we need to replace oil in vehicles and gas in buildings. It's inadequate to the real task. So, again, this is politics as a game. What are they saying? What can we offer more to, to, to persuade a few people to vote for us? Rather than the approach I take, we do a massive amount of engagement work. I run equalities assemblies where we bring in the neurodiverse and people who are blind and other sensory disabilities and, and survivors of domestic abuse, all sorts of things, and say... What are the real barriers that you face to a better life, to higher wages, to get into skills training and things like that? Um, I work with the trade unions. I fund the, the Union Learn program, directly fund trade unions to help people get better jobs. It's that holistic approach that's necessary. Um, and it's about <laughs> how to fix these problems. And yet we have people playing political games. What do we need to say to win over Worcester Man? Um, you know, um, Essex man, Worcester woman, uh, in order that we can get in power, but we're not going to tell you what we'll do when we get there. It's it's just bad for the country. And just finally, if you were going to do a kind of one to two minutes, just a very quick elevator pitch, what I, Jamie Juska, would do as Labour Mayor for the North East, I'm going to let you take the floor now and just do a kind of bam, this is what my mayoralty of the North East would look like. Right. Uh, create a total transport network because our transport system is truly dreadful. That means bringing all the buses back into public control, but integrating it with the Tyne and Weir Metro and the heavy rail system. And I've been talking to rail operators today about that. And then uh, have car clubs, much better active travel. So you can have on your phone or with a smart uh, card, whatever you want, a single ticket to get you right across the region with free travel for under 18s. That tackles the climate emergency, partly, and makes a, a huge difference to life opportunities for young people. Then I want powers to regulate private landlords so that we can improve the quality of housing. I want a richer cultural life with better festivals. We're already doing that. And we already have a well-being framework. We make our decisions based on well-being for the people, not how it affects GDP. Then I want to have full employment. Now, you're always going to have what's called um, frictional unemployment, or mismatch unemployed. This is where you have jobs available, but people who don't have the skills to do them and train everybody up so that they have the option to earn a decent living and get rid of zero hours contracts and focus self-employment. And that means starting right at schools and, and tackling child poverty. And then the Green New Deal. And again, we've done loads of work on this, but this is giving power by, directly back to communities and working for zero carbon emissions, investing heavily in our 
um, energy system and a lot more community ownership of all sorts of things. And uh, coming online in a few months' time is my social finance fund, which is directly funding workers to buy out the businesses when their companies are sold so they come into public ownership. They're not, not public ownership, the ownership of the workers who work there. Not bad, eh? Pretty good, eh? Oh, well, sorry. Why they don't want me? Because if oh, I God. prove that works... Yeah, can't can't have can't have common sense policies that actually transform yeah. people's lives and shift society's interests in favour of the majority rather than those who make vast amounts of profit. We can't have that in the modern Labour Party, Jamie. So get get with the program. Unless you're gonna, I don't know, advocate for something for some big accountancy firm and uh, the interests of of, uh, of multinational corporations. I'm afraid you're out. I don't I don't know the rules quite literally. Um, Jamie, it's been such an honour. Uh, this is obviously a vast, vast injustice. And I hope people keep, everyone who's either watched or listened to this, make as much noise as you can. They can't be able to just get away with this and not face any repercussions. This is a democratic outrage. It's an outrage in terms of the people of the Northeast. It's an outrage in terms of the principle of democracy. And it outlines the direction of the Labour Party, which tolerates no dissent whatsoever, is completely authoritarian, um, and what that, I, I fear, means for our democracy, because these guys will be running the country next year. Obviously, I think the vast majority of us, anyone watching or listening to this, want the Conservatives out. Good. That doesn't mean we should accept attacks on our democracy, because democracy is the most precious thing that our society has. Um, Jamie, thank you so much, so much. Um, and keep fighting. Can I, can I just make a quick appeal there? If anybody actually wants to go onto my website, sign up to the mailing list. And, uh, and I'm sure I'll stick the link on his uh, his feeds. Yes, I will put. In fact, I will put the link uh, below here as well. And I'll put. In fact, I'll put it. We'll put it up as a as a banner so we can we can get people to to click on that. All right, Jamie, really appreciate it, and I will speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Um, oh, hello. Well, we'll keep in there. You're taking over the show by the looks of things. I'll speak to you in a bit. Um, great stuff there from Jamie. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And I can see from the comments, people, people saying stand for leader. <laughs> people literally, literally, I mean, I mean, it's it, infinitely more charismatic than Keir Starmer for a start. But then so is this. So, uh, no, he's very charismatic on his own terms. Obviously, you don't want to belittle Jamie there. Jamie's a very charismatic man. Um yeah, we're going to keep. I'll just keep talking because I've got all the questions uh, which have come in. So let's just keep having a wide-ranging discussion about this. Um, because, I mean, let's start, say, David Baratta. What is the likelihood of Labour purging? I, I think you mean Socialist Campaign Group there, or even Burnham next. The Labour rights seem untouchable right now. Well, yeah, Beth Winter, another Campaign Group MP, because of the border changes, she was competing um, barriers uh, for another seat, uh, a new seat that was created. And she has lost that. And her position is that there are irregularities which, and, and so on in the contest. Um, you know, they clearly the machine mobilised against her. Um, I mean, they are, in my view, they want to just get rid of all the left-wing MPs. I mean, they do, sorry, that's not in doubt. They do want to get rid of all the left-wing MPs. That's not in doubt. The question is, will they be able to do it and get away with it? What they've ensured is by attrition, that group of left-wing MPs will shrink. Uh, because no new left-wing MPs are going to get selected. The only one who has been selected in a winnable seat is Pfizer Shaheen. That's in um, uh, Chingford and Woodford Green. Um, that's in Duncan Smith's seat. She has a very good chance of winning that seat. And that's the only reason she got that, you know, is because she's got such a big national profile, so well-respected and so much support within her seat to do over a woman of colour with so much support, who's obviously just the best person for that seat, um, she formed that seat, uh, would, would just that was too much even for them to get away with. But they've done it elsewhere. They've stopped, they literally, they've given reasons for blocking people, clearly front runners, incredible candidates, on the basis of liking a tweet by Nicola Sturgeon uh, in which she expressed relief at having a negative COVID test. That's where we're at within the Labour Party. They will literally find anything. Uh, they will keep finding any excuse to purge left-wing Labour MPs. I wouldn't be surprised if they just did it en masse before the next election. Because their calculation is the media will go, well, whatever. You know, the media hate the left. And they will just see it as good politics, you know. If it was Corbyn who did something like that, obviously they'd scream blue murder and say that, you know, Stalin's reign, but worse is coming. But under this lot, if they're getting rid of MPs who believe in the literally the policies Keir Starmer stood for, that seems good politics, that you should use, you know, you know 
low politics, authoritarianism, deceit, duplicity to get rid of the left. That's it. So they, uh, you know what? What's the consequences of, the, of them not? That's what they're calculating. So I would worry if I were a left-wing MP that they're next. Andy Burnham, they hate Andy Burnham. They literally hate the guy. They keep briefing against him. So he, he said the other week, could you just leave me alone? <laughs> That's what he said. They brief against him all the time. These advisors, I know I keep doing this, so maybe I should stop doing it because we should stick to the politics, but it's difficult not to do this because it is so irritating to be, to be, to be outmaneuvered by such a bunch of weird losers. Honestly, these people, they're dead behind the eyes, people. They don't believe in anything. You know, they'd sell their own mum on eBay for, for a safe seat. They're, they're, they're completely devoid of principle, of policies. You meet them and you instantly can tell these are just unsettlingly odd people who, you know, you, you wouldn't want to spend very much time with. Um, and, you know, for them, it's just, it's just a game. They just want to climb to the top of a machine. They want power for the sake of it. And they hate the left more than anything. That's what makes their heart beat a little bit faster. Not the Tories, not defeating the Tories. So, yeah, I mean... You know, the, the, that's the other problem. The, the, if you look at Michael Crick, for example, Michael Crick is a former Channel 4 journalist who hails, he would say, I'd say, from the right of the Labour Party. So he's actually politically not very different from the people running the Labour Party, but he's got integrity. And he's just going through the selections. He says it's an undemocratic farce, but he's also noting the terrible quality of people being selected because they're often rootless, kind of like technocratic people, very few, almost no working class people getting selected. Uh, people with roots in their communities. It's just, you know, kind of like people, you know, work for people working in lobbying firms and lawyers. And I'm not saying there's not room for lawyers, by the way, but it's just people from a very specific, narrow background, um, middle managers, you know, not people who come up through their communities. And you need a mix. Of course, you need a healthy mix. You need working class people in parliament. I don't know why I have to say that, given I'm talking about the Labour Party, which was literally founded to give working class people a political voice. But you know, they're stuffing them full of, they just want voting fodder. They just want yes men. They want people who will just do as the leadership tell them to do without, you know, regardless of no any sense of principle or belief or vision. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Andy Burnham doesn't fit. They, they seem as too independent minded, even though he's from a Blairite background originally. He's a former political advisor. Uh, he stood as the most Blairite candidate in 2010. Look, I mean, you know, their view is he's too close. He's too uh, soft on the left. Um, and too independent. Yeah, of course they want to. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do him in. Angela Rayner, good luck if you think you're getting any significant position in the next Labour government. They can't do her in now. She's deputy leader. She's got her own mandate. But do you, if, I'm sorry to say that she's going to be completely marginalised in the next Labour government. I say I'm sorry to say that because actually a lot of good stuff Labour have been coming up with on workers' rights have actually come from her department, formerly working with Andy McDonald. Uh, before he quit in protest at the Labour leadership's um, political direction back in 2021. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, she, she'll be marginalised. Ed Miliband, as noted by Jamie, I mean, they, you know, the 28 billion, you know, it's kind of um, that 28 billion pledge on the climate transition. It's, it's a bit like nice 28 billion pound pledge. Um, shame if something happened to it. I mean, they, they keep briefing against it in the media. You know, Rachel Reeves is showing no clear commitment as the shadow chancellor to that. And they already they already reduced his department uh, responsibilities back at the end of 2021. That was, you know, they toyed with sacking him and said they just took the business department off him. Um, yeah. I mean, they don't, you know, a lot of people around him regard him as the kind of person who laid the, the kind of the, the you know, that was the, the first kind of sinful shift to Corbynism. That's how they see him. So, yeah, they want all these people out. have to say, if you compare it, look, no fan of Blair. But actually, it is, in his cabinet, to begin with, he had people on the clear soft left in prominent positions. You know, people like Robin Cook or Claire Shaw. But you don't have the equivalents now. Um, you've got a very clear, dramatic shift to the right um, with the likes of Ed Miliband having his wings clipped, his policy pledges uh, under threat. Uh, even though, actually, he's come up with the best ideas and policies um, and you know most of them don't have any policies or or any sense of what they want to do so yeah i just think it's important to just uh, make that um clear yeah i do think they'll go for the soft this is the key point I, I, people need to say this to the soft left you know a lot and, and the soft left i don't really know often what is the soft left but some of the soft left is just kind of ambitious people who want a kind of left veneer <laughs> um, and then you know chuck and munna got selected uh, as a Labour candidate on the basis he was on the soft left 
and then you can see what happens there. Um, but you'll get some people who are authentically on the soft left. That's a thing. That's a tradition that's already existed within the Labour Party. Uh, you don't you don't have a future in the Labour Party as things stand. I'm sorry, you don't. They're, what they're trying to do is make it a hostile environment for anything other than just hardcore Blairism. Like a change UK writ large. That's what we're talking about. Um, you know, a change UK, but without the shit logo. God, I'm cheering everyone up. Um, uh, this is too long a name for me to say. I'm sorry. Um, while the toys are so unpopular, it's completely bizarre that Labour not taking this opportunity to run a campaign of real left-wing policies. You know what? If you go back to 2017, the general election, we're not supposed to mention. Um, when Because let's talk about 2017 general election. when I know, Labour didn't win. I know that. Um, but, you know, Labour lost the election very badly in 2015 with 30% of the vote. In 2017, that went up to 40% of the vote, two points behind the Conservatives. The biggest increase in vote shares since 1945. Clearly a pragmatic person who just looks at the evidence would go, well, that's clearly a step in the right direction. The first time Labour increased its seats since 1997, so for 20 years at the time. Clearly, that was something to learn from there. And people go, oh, well, it's because the Tories ran a terrible campaign. Oh, piss off. Come on. They did one bad policy on social care, which is initially lauded. And the reason that fell apart is because Labour and its allies took it to part, took it to pieces, which is a sign of a good campaign on the part of the Labour Party. But frankly, there were two terrorist attacks in that uh, election. And terrorist attacks, at the best of times, helped the government in power. Let's just be, to be honest, there's a kind of rally behind the government in a time of crisis effect. But in that election, they were smearing Jamie Corbyn and his key allies as terrorist supporters. Um, equally, you know, Labour had lot, Labour had its own car crash interviews or portrayed as such uh, during that campaign um, as well. They actually, the Home, Shadow Home Secretary stood down two days before the general election. Like, I mean, you know, and even then they say, well, it's because the Tory, oh, that's because the Tories, you know, shot themselves in the foot. They did nothing even close to on the scale of what the Tories have done in the last three years. Last three years, the Tories have just set themselves on fire I mean, they've had literally three prime ministers, one of which is driven out because of scandal, the other driven out because they crashed the economy and sent people's mortgage rates hurtling, unprecedented cost of living crisis. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, the number of scandals they've been involved in is completely and utterly ludicrous. You know, the country's crumbling. <laughs> NHS and public services falling apart. I think that's slightly more of a disaster for the Conservatives than a bad social care pledge. But then they claim, well, this is all... So clearly, you can see in 2017, if you hadn't have had a big civil war for two years within the Labour Party, for a start, and if you could say, well, if you could say, well, actually, Jamie Corbyn wasn't an actual leader or whatever, fine, go down that route. So if you did have someone you regard as a more conventional politician with conventional leadership skills and speaking ability or whatever with those policies, then why wouldn't that have been enough to get Labour over the edge in 2017? The point I'm making is it's just not true. We can know that from the polls that those policies are unpopular. They're not. And that's not why Labour crashed in 2019. What happened in 2019? I'm not going to go into it. I've written a whole book about it, so you can read that. That's pathetic, I know. But um, yeah, sorry, Stuart Atkinson, the current Labour Party would purge Charlie Chaplin for anti-Semitism because he satirised Hitler in the... Um, great dictator. Well, look, I mean, as I say, look, it, we need to take anti-Semitism seriously, and that shouldn't be belittled. The point about the Ford report, which was commissioned by the Labour leadership, is it warned against the hierarchy of racism. You don't take anti-Semitism, sorry, that you take anti-Semitism seriously, but you take other forms of racism seriously um, as well, and that you shouldn't use questions of racism for factional purposes. That's what it said. Um, and it did, look, I mean, it, it said that both the leadership and its opponents weaponized anti-Semitism. I don't myself know how that particularly follows with what they're saying. I mean, in terms of making that an equal thing, but they did. Thing is, if you say that the Labour leadership, if you say, if I said the Labour leadership weaponized anti-Semitism, sorry, if I said the right of the Labour Party weaponized anti-Semitism without reference to the Labour the Ford report, then I'd be kicked out. The Ford report makes the point about the weaponization of the issue of anti-Semitism by the right of the Labour Party. That's what the Ford report commissioned by the Labour leadership. So you can't try and kick me out for that. Try and kick me out for quoting a report you commissioned, you guys. Treat yourselves. Let's see how that one goes. The point is, is that racism should be taken seriously. Anti-Semitism should be taken seriously. But clearly, in the case of Jane Driscoll, unless you want to defame him, which none of them have done, um, obviously there's no question of anti-Semitism with Jane Driscoll. No one's claimed there's any issue of anti-Semitism with Jane Driscoll. Neither have people called Ken Loach an anti-Semite. 
presumably because it's defamatory to do so without actually having evidence um, in order to just justify it. So if they're going to make, what they do keep doing is making these nudge, nudge, wink, winks without saying it overtly. And that is a going against the grain of the Ford report, which is you take issues of racism, anti-Semitism seriously. You don't wield them as an attack on or wield them for factional purposes. Obviously, that's what the Ford report asks people to do. And that's what it should be abided by. Um, uh, should we tell Keith to shh? to Keir Starmer. Um, no, I'd love to keep hearing Keir Starmer's wonderfully charismatic oratory. Um, the Financial Times interviewed me about this today. Well, it went up today. And I just said that my view is it was... Um, Keir Starmer offered Corbynism with competence. That was that was his leadership pitch. Corbynism with competence, but has given us Blairism without the charisma. And that is true. Not a popular guy. His poll ratings are bad. Uh, Labour ahead purely because of Tory self-immolation. Um, um, so, just want to thank Tad Campwell, Tom, Stuart Atkinson, David Baratta, Storytill because Teller was taken, pancaking on. Mm, pancakes. Uh Great stuff, everyone. Um, it was brilliant to have Jamie just gone on to talk about that. Um, we will obviously have videos every day as per usual. Sorry, the live show. I do, I do need to stop apologising, uh, but we have stopped. We did stop doing the live show for lots of various reasons. And I, I meant to do one last week, but we are. this is us restarting it. Uh, I know it takes a while to get back into the swing of things. So, yeah, every Wednesday at 5 p.m. we will be doing live shows. Um, uh which I can I can actually stick by. So I will continue to stick by that. And if I don't, you can just yell at me if you want. Um, thanks, everyone. Um, we will... Uh, so it'll be live next Wednesday. We're doing lots of... it. We've got lots of other interviews coming up. Um, on the Patreon page, I did a shout-out. So I'm going through those requests that people have put forward, uh, which is great. So do keep those coming. Other than that, lots of love, everyone. Hope you're doing all well. Don't. I know this was a bit depressing. Don't give up because... Ah, let's end on a, on a hopeful note. The reason we have to end on a hopeful note is because it is true these factional warriors of the Labour Party are currently overwhelmed by triumphalism and hubris. Anyone knows anything about hubris as it meets nemesis? Is they haven't achieved what they have because of their own skill. If you compare them to the leading lights of New Labour, who I don't ideologically support, but those people we found in New Labour were substantial figures. They were. Tony Blair was obviously a substantial figure. Gordon Brown was obviously a substantial figure. Peter Manderson was obviously a substantial figure, wherever you think about him. Alistair Campbell was obviously a substantial figure. These people, not even on the same league. Not even, not even close. So they, there's that. New Labour actually had an intellectual hinterland to back it up. They, they emerged weirdly, partly from this magazine called Marxism Today, Anyone wants to research Eurocommunism, be my guest. It's a fascinating topic. But a lot of New Labour's kind of rationale came from that. It was this idea that the economy had transformed, that the old Fordist, Ford, Henry Ford, mode of production had shifted into a post-Fordist economy, and therefore the working class had fragmented, and you had to have a new approach to building electoral coalitions. Look, it was an intellectual foundation and a rationale, okay? At least it had a sense of engaging with the world around it. So... These people don't have that. And the reason they're ahead in the polls is because of catastrophic Tory self-immolation of a sort which no democratic government in British history has ever done. It's the biggest series of disasters put together that any government in the history of British democracy um, has experienced. Um, and the nature of the crises afflicting this country, because this country is in a mess, it's in a total mess, means you do need transformative ideas. And that ends on the fact that actually, compared to the 80s and 90s, if you look at the kind of disposition politically of millennials and Gen Z, the, the younger generations, which is generous, given the oldest millennials are now 42. I'm a geriatric millennial, I'm 38. But there's actually a leftish sensibility amongst those generations. I'm not saying they're all ideological socialists. Most people don't, I'm afraid to say, think or talk about politics on a daily basis. But there's a general sympathy towards our ideas because of lived experience, because what we call neoliberalism, let the market rip, uh, withdraw the state, except to support private interests, um, that promised people personal freedom, but it delivered them insecurity. And insecurity is not freedom. Having, lacking an affordable home with security, not freedom. 
having falling wages, which denies you the ability to, to, to be able to live a comfortable existence. That's not freedom either. Uh, being trapped in an insecure job where you don't know how many hours you're working. That's not freedom either. Uh, not being able to be treated for terrible health conditions, which restricts your ability to live an independent or happy life. That's not freedom either. You see, people realize the collision between what they were promised and what was delivered in this society, this social order. And I think the danger is for a Labour government that comes to power is to, to begin with, there'll be huge triumphalism. I'll be celebrating that night. If you want to see me on camera, I'll be battered. Okay, I'll be sing. I mean, it will be a very, very joyous moment to get rid of the Conservatives. What happens two years in when nurses and other public sector workers go, hold on, my pay packet hasn't gone back anywhere near to what it was before the Tories decimated it? What happens when people still see the likes of the NHS struggling on its knees? What happens when younger people in the private rented sector go, hold on a minute, why is half my, 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 my wages still going on my rent for my rip-off landlord? What people go, why are my wages not, what, you know, generally private sector workers, why haven't they gone back to where they were? People look at the infrastructure around them and go, I thought things would change. And I do think that's where we come into play. That's why Jamie Driscoll's right. They wanted to get rid of leftist voices because they want to get rid of people with a platform who can actually show, well, actually, this government could be doing a lot more, a lot more to address these burning injustices and problems. Well, bad luck, Labour, because if you think you're going to silence a lot of us, you're going to be, I think, severely mistaken because under a Labour government, we're going to be louder than ever because we'll be able to say, well, actually, these aren't the Tories. They should be doing a lot more to address these problems, and they're not. And that's when I think you'll see huge movements uh, who will say, look, the Tories are gone, but we were promised something radically different, and you haven't delivered it. That's my thoughts. Please like, anyway, and subscribe. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. And I will see you all very, very, very soon. Take care.